All right, hey everyone. I'm Brian, the Kickstarter guy. <laughs> Are you guys here for my presentation or? Okay, cool. Awesome. Hey, what's up? Okay. All right, well, um, okay, yeah. So, hey guys, I'm Brian. My presentation, it should be pretty obvious from the title, is about crowdfunding, um, how to do it, what to sell, and, uh, and how to sell it and why it works. So real quick before we get into it, how many have done a crowdfunding campaign before? Okay, cool. How many have thought about doing it? How many think it's really cheesy? All right, cool. You can be honest. Um, all right, so who am I to tell you about this? Um, that's a picture of me, flattering picture of me, um, to accompany what's in front of you. My name is Brian. Um, I'm a founder of Think Steady Inc. We do a bunch of crowdfunding campaigns for musicians. In the past, I've done a, a bunch of uh, you know, music, music digital strategy for a lot of artists, um, Far East Movement, Jared Leto, Aloe Black, Nas, Jurassic 5, and probably other people you don't know. Um, and in general, I'm a startup guy. Uh, I've always been at a startup, usually th that involves music, and yet I'm still optimistic. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I've directed a top 25 uh, campaign for Grouch Nilai, ran four campaigns um, that in total raised 200K and advised on a lot of others. Um, and I researched the top 100 music campaigns. We'll get into that in a second. So real quickly, what is crowdfunding? Um, usually the way we think of it now, it's, it's, it's basically an online payment transaction format. Collectively enable something. There's a deadline to it usually. It's direct from creator, inherently social, and vertical agnostic, meaning it can be used anything from music or an album to you know, refrigerators or potato salads or whatever. Um, and the reason why I mention this, not because I don't think you guys know what this is, but because I want to distinguish it from um, a more general concept of a patronage model. Um, the patronage model is more art-specific. Um, it's centered around the idea of selling patronage products, which we're about to get into. Um, a majority of your revenue is coming from a tiny minority of whales, um, or the top of the tail. Um, and um, so because of that, it's inherently relationship-based and a lot more B2B than um, um, what musicians are typically used to doing, which is a lot more mass marketing. Um, so yeah, I mean, here's a little graphic to show you, you know, um, parse out sort of the difference between the two. You know, the crowdfunding transaction format right now sort of enables this new patronage model. It's a Trojan horse for it, I think. Um, and, you know, there, there's some obvious synergies. Both of them are internet native, which is important and sort of overlooked, um, direct from creator and inherently social. Okay. So why now? Um, you know, a lot of people in this room will already know that um, recorded music content is just going to shit. Um, the internet's a perpetual copy machine. The uh, moving units era is basically over. Here's a chart to demonstrate that. This is 2004 since iTunes came out. Um, and it kind of parses out how uh, the different kind of um, content products that are, that are selling. And if, you, and if you break it down further, it gets even more depressing. Um, we all know that CDs and physical um, um, content is just exponentially down from what it used to be. Digital downloads are supposed to overtake that. Um, a lot of people thought that was internet native, but really I argue it's, it's, a, um, it's basically a transitionary product where you have people paying up front to listen to the content. And the most interesting thing, even though it's been growing since iTunes came out, you know, between 2012, 2013, the last year we had data, it's actually dipped a little bit, and I imagine it's only going to get worse. Um, and so, yeah, the great new hope is subscription revenues. This is on the same scale as digital downloads, and as you can see, it's literally on the baseline of the chart. Um, so, you know, I, I actually think you should be on Spotify and all that stuff, but um, not necessarily to make money. Okay, 
So now what? Um, this has been a question that I've been struggling with ever since I pirated my first song on Napster um, and basically saw the writing on the wall. Um, but, you know, despite that, um, the, the last couple of years, um, I've, the interesting thing that I saw was these musician campaigns on, on, on Kickstarter and the kinds of things that they were selling. So that gave me a little bit more hope. Um, two years ago, I did a, a, a presentation here about this very abstract kind of presentation about why crowdfunding is interesting. Um, and then about a year ago, uh, I really took a deep dive into it. And the first thing I did was you know, look at the top 100 most funded music Kickstarter campaigns up to date, um, logged everything, and um, really was just looking for all types of patterns um, to see if there's some sort of a formula or a model. And as it turns out, there was. One of the uh, most interesting things about crowdfunding, um, especially if you do it correctly, this is the top one data from the top 100 most funded music campaigns. Um, on average, they average about 1,600 backers, but it's really that top of the tail that's bringing you um, a lot of your revenue. So literally five of, of your, six, on average, 1,600 backers are accounting for 22% of your revenues. Um, and then it goes down the line, top 10 is 28%. And then you start to get in the percentages, top 5% of your 1,600 on average backers account for 43%. Top 10% accounts for a majority of the revenue. So you're talking about 10% of 1,600 people that are really accounting for um, most of these successful campaigns. So that, that, that means a lot of different things, and we're about to break that down. Um, here's another chart to sort of demonstrate that and parse out like a uh, percentage of backers versus the revenues they bring. Um, as you can see, it's pretty exponential. Um, this classic power law thing happening over here. Um, so what are they buying? Well, if you break down the categories of, of products that they're buying um, as rewards on crowdfunding, um, the interesting thing is, you know, oftentimes the excuse for the, or the reason or the story for the, uh, the campaign is, is to raise money from the album, to do pre-sales for that. Uh, and of course, there's merch. We all know what that is. Um, and those things are often bundled together on the lower end uh, for, for less than 100 bucks. But really, the, and, and that's basically what 80% of the people are buying, but really, um, um, this Pac-Man side over here um, is really where most of the revenues are coming from. This is what the top 10, top 15% of people are buying. So what are those things? Um, if you break down that 63%, I have my own labels for what kind of products, and we're about to get into this, um, really make up the bulk of the revenues amongst those top 10%, what these people are buying. Um, here's another chart uh, just to kind of break down the average price per backer for these different categories of values. As you, as you can see, the project content represents um, the album itself, usually a download or a CD. Um, premium content, we'll get into that. The average across all the backers, 57 bucks. Merch is a little bit more at 63. And then everything below that is basically the patronage products um, that can go for a lot of money for, uh, per backer. So those are the things that are really interesting. So what are these things? Um, relationship rewards. Relationship rewards defined by one-to-one, one-to-few interaction between fans and um, artists. This is probably the most obvious category for a lot of you guys. Um, and they break down into different subcats that I don't really have time to get into. But some examples are pretty obvious. You know, the phone, Skype call, um, invite to backer album, premiere parties, um, lunch, coffee, drinks, whatever, some sort of normal human interaction, um, studio hangout time, partying with your fan, all the way up to like a concert in your living room, and everything in between. The whole idea is it's some sort of one-to-one, um, one-to-few -one, one interaction, and uh, that can go for a lot of money. 
and a lot, oftentimes fans are pretty thrilled to be able to buy that kind of a product. So there's that. There's a premium content rewards. Um, this is stuff that's not the album that you're, you know, do, that you're basically fundraising for. Um, it's rare content in different ca capacities. Vinyl does really well. Um, and entire just means like, you know, some, like your entire discography or a subset of that, et cetera, et cetera. The examples are pretty linear. Um, vinyl, um, entire discography on, on USBs, that can go for a decent amount of money. It does very well on crowdfunding campaigns. Unreleased recordings, B-sides, your true fans are really into that. Um, out of print pressings um, will go for more than you would expect and rare old pressing, so that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, so the next thing is collectibles. Collectibles are things that you can mail and give that isn't massively reproducible. That breaks down into like memorabilia, handcrafted things, um, curated things, um, things that aren't merch and massively reproducible and inherently scarce. So some examples, handwritten personalized lyrics do really well. You can sell them for a couple hundred bucks, take 20 minutes to pop it out. Um, um, that really works really well for lyricists especially. Instruments, gear used on album, you know, apparel, clothes worn on music videos, curated care packages, you're just taking other stuff and, and putting a huge markup on it. Um, and, um, you know, test press vinyl does really well, original album artwork, that kind of stuff that's, um, you know, one of a kind and can go for a lot of money. So there's that. That's the third biggest category. The fourth one is just regular tickets. Um, um, a lot of, a lot of uh, artists choose to use crowdfunding to sell this kind of stuff. And it can be everything from a general two passes to your show up to like an extended like, you know, golden ticket, come to any of my shows for the rest of my life type deal. So examples of that, lifetime backstage passes, that can be very popular and if it actually hits, it can go for a lot of money if you're pricing it right. Um, extended roadies is kind of the same sort of concept. Meet and greets, festival VIP access, especially if you're doing a festival in a place that you don't have a lot of friends, you know, why not sell that uh, extra guest list spot to these guys um, and give them a, you know, a cool experience. Um, and guest list passes, discounted tickets, et cetera, et cetera. Production rewards, this is really interesting. This is the idea of getting, selling a product where um, you're involving the backer in the process of, of creation itself. So whether that's music or a music video or, or, or your show, um, it's, make, it's giving them that feeling, and you got to really think about this, you know, what the value is from the fan's perspective, um, and giving them that idea that, that they um, somehow affected your, your creative process. Um, one subcategory in particular that's interesting, artist-to-artist -artist, uh, products, very small market for that, but if you do hit, it can go for a lot of money. Um, so here's some, you know, examples, singer play on the record or stage, write a personal theme song for the, uh, for the fan, commission song, cover song request, that works well for YouTube artists, cameo and music videos, um, opening for the artist, record a track together, that's more artist-to-artist -artist type products. Um, and, uh, and actually, there's not that many campaigns in the top 100 that does this, but when they do and it hits, it can go for a lot of money. Kudos rewards. So this is the idea of publicly giving kudos or credit to your fan, calling them out. Um, if you're thinking about like, philanthropists who donate for big civic buildings and institutions, this, it's basically the equivalent of having your name engraved on a brick or whatever, um, but it's the music version of that. So the most typical example is the name and the liner notes. Um, this is a, the name and the liner notes thing is actually a lot more scalable, so that's actually something that can add a lot of value to a pre-existing bundle. And, um, um, yeah, and, then, and then you can take a step further and give them executive associate producer credit if they're willing to pay enough money. Um, uh, shout out on social media websites, name and film, end credits, YouTube descriptions, that kind of stuff. 
the pic of the of, of the a picture of the fan on your profile pic or wherever where they're they're exposed to the rest of the uh, the fan base, and you're really kind of calling them out and giving them credit for making you uh, uh, making your career happen. Um, so yeah, those those are the categories, and then here here's a chart again. Again, now that you know what they are, um, you kind of get an idea of um, um, you know how much this thing can go for on average, and and you know. Oftentimes, especially with like production and relationship type rewards, you know, one or two or three backers can really make your whole year in terms of paying your rent um, if you're doing this correctly. And sort of wrap up the idea of patronage products, I have a, a quote from Kevin Kelly. Uh, I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he's a really smart guy. Um, he founded Wired Magazine. He's a writer, thinker. Um, he wrote that thing about the 1,000 true fans, if you've ever read it. He wrote another thing called Better Than Free, which is a great article. And the quote is, when copies are super abundant, they become worthless. I mean, that's uh, basically what the internet's done to, to recorded music. And when copies are super abundant, stuff which can't be copied becomes scarce and, valuable, uh, scarce and available. He wrote this, I think, in like 2008 or something. And this basically sort of, in a nutshell, describes what patronage products are, just distributed patronage products. Um, so yeah, uh, no, I don't have too much time, so I want to kind of fly through the, the kind of how-to and, and how to put together a, a good campaign outside of the products. Um, um, so again, it's inherently social. You gotta be direct, you gotta be personal, you gotta be inclusive. Um, you gotta write in the first person voice, not only for the story, but even in, in the reward copy, like you're literally handing it to them. Um, these things come through, the fans can feel it. Um, you gotta go beyond the skew. You can't just be selling something like, uh, like you would on your merch store. Um, and for the video, speak into the camera, make eye contact. This is an old trick that a lot of YouTube stars use anytime they're trying to get um, conversions on call to actions. Um, a, lot of, a lot of YouTube stars have figured out a lot of those kinds of psychological tricks. So use all those. And, um, um, and, and lastly, focus on fans' interests and, and not necessarily your own. Um, so here's an example of an above-the-fold for a Grouch and Eli campaign um, that me and Eamon ran. He's the manager right here. Um, and if you just look at it, you might not necessarily, you know, uh, get all those points, but if I call them out, you know, you got the whole eye con earnest eye contact thing going. Um, I didn't really mention this, but for your thumbnail pictures, I would, I would put a picture of your face, um, and not necessarily the cover album for the, whatever project that you're raising for, just because when people are, are looking for it, they'll recognize the face a lot more than they would some project that you haven't put out. And then in the copy itself, there's a lot of first-person voice thing going on, including in the rewards, and that, that's really important. So the marketing. The marketing can actually be like a whole other presentation on its own, um, but I just want to just fly through the high-level points. Um, Crowdfunding campaigns is the time to hyper-target your dedicated fans. It's really not the time to go get new fans. Um, and in fact, you're bringing most of your own audience to your own campaign. Don't rely on a feature from Kickstarter. Um, emails are, uh, uh, you know, incredibly good at conversion. Um, you know, and, and that's not necessarily something that would be obvious from everything else the music industry sold in, in previously. But, you know, especially for high-margin products, emails convert more than any given social media platform. And you need all of it, but don't ignore the emails, which a lot of artists do. Um, get large artists to also support and not just promote the link, but actually back the campaign. Monkey see, monkey do. Um, release, so free music, by the, or music itself, by the way, is still the best marketing for a crowdfunding campaign. Um, so definitely have some lined up to go out when you're doing your campaign. That's the best thing to kind of draw attention to it and, and get people excited. And lastly, you got to reel in the whales. 
Um, it's got it, you know, which is more of a B2B kind of concept than the B2C concept. And, what, and, th and that breaks down into a lot of different things. But like when you're, oftentimes whales will kind of bite around the edge, show the interest. You gotta make, you gotta reach out and do a back and forth with them. Um, and oftentimes you'll, you, you'll, you'll be surprised how well that is in actually closing a big sale um, for hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds or thousands of dollars. Um, so here's a little stupid graphic that I, animation that I put together to kind of demonstrate that for you visual learners. Um, so previously, Rockstar sort of kind of did a mass market um, shotgun spray approach because oftentimes they're selling an album or ticket, which is um, you know a lot more of a, of a lower margin product. But in the crowdfunding and especially actually in the new patronage model, this is basically what you got to do. <laughs> you got to identify your whales and you got to have a back and forth with them, start that relationship. Okay, what not to do? Um, this is sort of the inverse of what I said before. But this whole idea of doing PR press, mass consumer marketing, um, again, this is a lot less effective for crowdfunding campaigns or patronage kind of campaigns. Um, if you have a budget for it, I would advise save it for the album. Um, that's the time to go get new fans and stop, start at the top of the funnel. Um, at, for, for crowdfunding campaigns, you're really hitting the middle of the funnel and, and down. Um, and then don't do the whole set it and forget it thing, which a lot of artists do. Um, they put it out, they launch it, and they don't really think like a startup in the sense that it's about getting traffic to your page. Um, and oftentimes if you just set and forget it, you're almost likely going to fail every single time. Um, think like a startup. Again, it's all about traffic. It's all about conversions, uh, targeted traffic, targeted conversions. Continuously monitor your traffic, see what works, see what doesn't. Um, and if you do this and you're bringing your fans, your true fans, to your page several times, um, your last day should be your best day. Um, because of that whole time factor and urgency involved. Um, but if you don't do this, then, you, then it'll come, you, you'll, you'll know um, on that last day because um, it'll, it'll flatline. Um, yeah, so post-campaign, um, pretty obvious, fulfill, 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 um, especially if it's your first one. You don't want to alienate your, uh, your, um, your best uh, fans. Um, involve the backers to the launch process, involve the backers to the post-campaign process, put out those backer-only updates, um, give them those exclusive, make them feel a part of the process. And then after the campaign, um, you know, when you do the campaign, you're going to figure out who's doing $100, $500, or $1,000 or more for you. Um, make sure you have a relationship with those guys after the campaign um, um, so that you can come back to them and start your next campaign next time with, with a base of people that at least now you know who they are and you can directly go to these guys. That's really important. That's a big part of the patronage model. Um, so yeah, if you do it, you do it well, the benefits go beyond just the, 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 uh, the money. Um, you know, it, for all those people who are buying the pre-sale stuff, uh, that actually counts for your first week sound scan. That can be a difference for a lot of artists in terms of charting. Um, if you do a campaign well, it's, it's effectively a pre-album cycle in the sense that um, you get another album cycle. You get these people, uh, these top thousand, top two thousand fans, um, who not only know about the album but have, you know, their own kind of emotional connection to it. They have their own story around it, and um, so when your album actually does come out, you don't have to tell them to do, uh, you know, promote and share. They'll feel compelled to do it um, very organically. Um, and then again, it jumpstarts your patron patron relationships. You got to figure out who these people are in this new patron sort of model. And lastly, um, you know. There's not that many, people don't know what the, the, the measure of success is for a lot of these campaigns, so if you outperform um, and do really well in a campaign, trust me, there's going to be a lot of people who, who, who talk and, um, in the industry. And for a lot of my clients who have, who have done a campaign and done well, 
um, get all types of opportunities thrown at them um, after doing these campaigns. And by the way, if you know how to do the formula, you, right now is the time to do it because um, you will outperform whatever, whatever level you're at. So here's one last graphic um, to, to demonstrate uh, a guy who's done, his name is MC Lars, he's a really niche rapper, nerdcore rapper, niche works well in crowdfunding. Um, and um, he's one of the few guys who have done multiple cam campaigns at this point. So in 2011, he did a proper big album project, um, got 520 backers to and got $23,000. A year later, in 2012, he did a smaller vinyl-only project, still did a very respectable 400 backers and 17K. Um, and then he maintained those relationships. Those, those two campaigns are about figuring out who those whales are, um, figuring out who your true fans are, your top 1,000, whatever, and, and maintaining a relationship. And a couple months ago, he did another proper album campaign, and as you can see, it, it popped, um, and he got more than 1,000 backers for $42,000. He's going to probably keep going back to the well, and this sort of dispels the myth that like, this is a one-time deal. Um, there's a bigger, more continuous um, concept of, of, of a patronage relationship, patronage model, that's going to probably last a lot longer than the specific, model, the specific transaction format of crowdfunding. So that's the main point here. This guy's been able to do it through Kickstarter um, several times now. And that's my time. This is where I'm at. I'm probably going to post um, this slide and my spreadsheets. And I'm actually writing like a, a multi-series uh, blog post that I just put out, the first part of which I just put out two weeks ago. There's going to be a lot more. I'm going to post all, the, all those things. And if you're, gonna think, if you're thinking about doing a campaign, reach out to me. Um, I can talk about this all day. And uh, now I'll open it up to questions. Thank you. Did you analyze unsuccessful campaigns as well as successful ones to compare? Yeah, so I didn't necessarily put them in a spreadsheet, <laughs> but I have had a lot of friends <laughs> um, who've uh, done campaigns that have failed. And, um, and yeah, I mean, like, it, typically you see the inverse of all these different things, right? Um, I mean, there's, there's like a laundry list of things that don't work, you know, not putting out the right kind of products, not putting not enough kind of rewards. Pretty much all the inverse of the things that I've said is, is typically um, um, the reason why these campaigns fail. And it can ca fail for many different reasons. I actually did run a campaign that I thought failed. Um, um, and, you know, I, I could go into, uh, I can go into great detail about why I thought that happened. Um, but stick to the script and you should be okay. <laughs> hey, uh, full disclosure, I am, do A&R for Pledge Music, but uh, cool. so I'm a little biased. But... Um, one of the things that attracted me to the Pledge platform is that they don't actually show how much money that the artist is raising. Yeah. I was just wondering uh, what your opinion on that was, whereas, like, you know, when we see Gretchen Eli, they're a $90,000 artist yeah. versus, you know, what Amanda Palmer ran into with. She's yeah. a million-dollar artist. She, you know, she can't. Um, I was just wondering kind of, like, what your opinion is with those. Um, I don't know. Concept. I think that's one of those give-and-take type things. Like, there's definitely a percentage of fans who... Um, feel that sort of collective urge and like if as you approach the uh, your goal there's going to be a people who put in and, 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 and that works for those guys um, and then but I, I, I definitely feel like the majority of fans it's not necessarily about what you want or what you look like collectively it's more about you know what are you giving them to specifically is that reward or that product something they actually want to buy so ultimately that's a lot more important and everything else is sort of window dressing but the whole I don't know. I mean, the whole, like, putting up the, the, the t total funds is, is another, like, s you know, social function, collective function, one of many that makes crowdfunding works. Um, but again, that's not necessarily, that's a feature as opposed to 
um, being an integral part of what a patron relationships or a patron model is. So I think it could be a give and take. Um, personally, I, I, I think it works still. So I would put up um, the, uh, the collective amount, especially if you know you have a pretty good idea that you're going to do pretty well. Um, but that's up to the individual artist. Hey, my name is DJ Celeste. I'm a music hey. producer. And I was just thinking recently that it almost seems a little backwards, but um, since music has possibly been devalued over the years through just, just stream, streaming and uh, downloading and piracy, that it seems like more people are willing to actually contribute to a Kickstarter campaign than to actually yeah. buying your album. Yeah, so, yeah. So, I mean, uh, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I'll just go through it real quickly. Um, you know, the whole idea of selling an album, again, it was like a mass consumer type, like shotgun blast thing. It wasn't about the relationship. Um, but, you know, again, there's a lot of people on these crowdfunding campaigns that are buying the pre-sale, and they, they're, you're probably converting a lot of those guys to buy the, just the pre-sale versus if it was up on iTunes or, or some other place because that feels like a cold transaction, right? So, you know, I mean, right now, like, um, you're still generating a decent amount or, or getting a lot of your backers um, because even though you're just selling the same old thing, a lot of times, like, you know, these backers don't, aren't even necessarily listening through iTunes. They're, they're probably listening through the cloud anyways. They're, they're off, oftentimes they're, they're buying it anyways because they feel like it's, it's a direct thing, right? Like they're buying it from you like they would um, if they bought it from you hand-to-hand -hand in a merch store. And that's sort of like the metaphor, the experience that crowdfunding, um, the transaction format kind of mimics. And, and that's why it works so well with this whole patronage model. So I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like, um, um, you know, in the future, those th that kind of a product might make less money. But again, as long as you kind of preserve this idea of selling something directly um, and having a direct relationship, um, um, I think that'll always stay, what, what, whatever the product might be on the other side of the, the, um, the transaction. Um, do I have one last question? Or, hey, what's up, Eddie? <laughs> so I know a number of people who uh, have gotten close to their goal, and all of a sudden you see, you, you know there's no way they're going to they're gonna hit their goal, and they're really, really close. And um, I've heard anecdotally through the grapevine that what will happen is the artist may just buy out that last chunk yeah. to get over the hump. Is, yeah. is, that, is that a thing that happens? Is that something you'd recommend? Um, it's one of those desperation moves that you can use if you have to. Um, and th when I looked at the top 100 campaigns, there were like three or four campaigns that clearly did that. And so I took them out of the data set. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think you should set a realistic goal. Sometimes it's hard to figure that out. And yeah, at the end of the day, like if you need to collect the money, it's in the structure where you have to cross a certain threshold, you can, you can um, um, I guess, resort to that tactic. But I, I don't know. I, I think that's something that you should try to avoid. And if you do all these things correctly, um, you should be able to get um, whatever your goal is if you set a realistic goal. And, and, and probably even more. You know? So every, most of the campaigns I've done have gone way past their goal um, um, you know, just because it was effective. You know? So yeah, I mean, um, um, yeah, I don't necessarily recommend that tactic. <laughs> Do we have time for more? Anyone else have a question? Yeah. What's the, uh, uh, in terms of setting a realistic goal, uh -huh. what would you advise on that? All right, so that's a tough question. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a function of a lot of different things. I mean, I think... Um, um, you got to have direct relationship with your fans. You got to have a way to reach them. So a lot of times that means social media. 
Um, and in fact, um, you know, obviously emails work very well, like I mentioned. Um, so often, what I'll tell people to do before, the, if they have some time before their campaign, is to really get those relationships going, um, really start capturing those fans, uh, and maybe even sell something online, just almost as a way to figure out who these people are that have di exhibited the behavior of buying something from you online, right? And now you have their email, now you can reach out to them um, in a more direct way. But yeah, I mean, it's really going to depend um, on, on those kinds of numbers. It's going to depend on a lot of qualitative things as well, you know, how much you actually mean to your fans. Um, so that's kind of an impossible question to answer, but, you know, generally I would find, like, maybe someone who's about the same level and see what kind of goals they're doing um, and go a little bit below that. Hey, I'm curious if you think that some of these uh, rules should apply also for products, other products in other spaces, other verticals, whether yeah, it's I, I, so I get this question. as an app developer or someone right. doing an apparel line or something like that. Yeah, I, I get this question a lot because a lot of times um, people who aren't doing music want me to do their campaign. Um, I, I got to say, I don't really know. I do think that like a lot of things that work for artists are specific to artists, right? So like um, marketing a artist campaign versus marketing a hardware campaign are two completely different things um, because the hardware thing is more based on an idea. Um, it's more of a, pro you know, folks who are buying it aren't necessarily buying the idea of supporting the backer. They're buying the idea because they want that product to happen, right? So that's a diff that, in that case, like PR actually does, you need PR, right? It's not like you have, as, as a product developer guy, you have like millions of fans or anything like that. With artists, it's a lot more about the relationship. It's a lot more about making money off people who have been fans of yours for a long time, right? You're really not gonna get people who have just heard of your music or maybe you put out some free stuff in association with a campaign. Um, if they've heard of you for the first time, they're not gonna, they're not gonna support your campaign. So in a, again, like that kind of exhibits like this whole, um, idea of what's crowdfunding versus what's new patronage model, right? It's a transaction format that just happens to have a lot of synergies with crowdfunding, um, but doesn't necessarily mean all the rules that you do for musicians are going to work for, um, um, you know, anything else that you would do crowdfunding for. Um, and yeah, and, I, and, 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 and further on that point, like, I think musicians are actually really lucky in the sense that, you know, they, the music... You, Everyone's kind of you know talking about how the music's worthless and and, and and the values is gone or whatever, but you know on a human level like there there's nothing that kind of touches your soul like music right there's nothing where like if, as a fan heard it and they love the music that they don't feel like that artist like knows them and gets them you know that instant soul meld thing so that that's what's making this thing work right um in terms of like you know if if, if you feel like this artist you know is just gets you you're going to want to have dinner with them and you're going to be thrilled about that right. Um, so again, it's that kind of dynamic working, and that's a lot different from selling like um, a Pebble watch or something like that. <laughs> okay, I think that's my time. Should do we one more question? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm just curious. It seems like there's a huge price to pay with the like one and done campaign at a time type thing, where an artist like that you just mentioned has run three campaigns in four years. That's a huge amount of work from like a marketing perspective. Do you think there's room for more like direct, straightforward patronage models, like the obvious yes. example being Patreon? Yes, Patreon. And do, the, and do the same principles apply? Do you think? Uh, some of them do, some of them don't. So Patreon's actually a really interesting example. Um, I know those guys. I, I'm very intrigued by the model. 
you're actually selling different things in a Patreon campaign than you are versus a regular one-shot kind of campaign. It's a lot more about the whole like subscription access thing. You're, it's a lot more about those one dollars, those three dollars, those five dollars a month than it is about these big, huge whales or whatever. Um, and you're often selling like smaller things like access, digital goods, um, those kinds of things. And in fact, it's just kind of the inverted, uh, it's, it's, it's like the upside down model of the traditional crowdfunding campaign in, the, in, in that sense. So, you know, I, I've, I've seen a couple different examples of people who have done great patron, or sorry, Patreon campaigns or pages, and that jumpstarts their patron relationships. You know, now they know who these people are, you get your fans used to the idea of paying for you online or supporting you online, and then they go out and then do a Kickstarter campaign where they're selling all these different kind of like products, right, and do very well with it. So yeah, I mean, like again, like I'm talking about a specific model here with the whales and stuff like that, but this general concept of a new patron model is 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 a lot more expansive than that. And I think like in the future, you're going to have to do both things. Um, you're going to have to do this sort of like uh, regular relationship type things, and then do the do the campaign to kind of like clear out and and, and do the big like um, um, auction items that. Um, um, that oftentimes like your Patreon backers will also be buying, right? So. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like ver it's selling an album versus selling a ticket. It's not necessarily, um, they, they work together as opposed to working against each other. All right, so that's my time. I'll be around all day, and I could talk about this forever. So let's get a drink together. Thank you. <laughs>